2: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Basement Binge. This is exciting. Continuing through the Transformers live-action movies, Michael Bay, kind of concluding what I would call a trilogy with Transformers Dark of the Moon. If you've listened to the other Transformers episodes, you know that I am joined by the always wonderful Matt and Rob from Matt Goes to the Movies. Thank you again both for being here and enduring yet again another wonderful film.
3: (laughs) I will say it is an improvement over what we talked about. So at least in my opinion.
4: Yeah. And you know, what's funny is I kind of forgot that I'd never seen this movie before. So this was uh, my first time seeing it. Really? um, Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm glad that um, you asked us to do this because now I've seen it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's such an achievement. I've now seen Transformers (laughs) Dark of the Moon. I got through it. (laughs) I just saw this movie. I have IMDb pulled up. And it's like playing videos of the film on a loop. And it was like an advertisement for the Blu-ray saying that it was nominated for three Academy Awards. So interesting. I mean, it was.
3: I will say back in the day, uh, seeing it in the theater, the 3D for this was really well done.
2: I believe it. So let's get into talking about Transformers Dark of the Moon. Starting with the first segment, which is always spoiler free, that is two cents. Completely spoiler free thoughts, kind of knee jerk reaction to the film. Rob, since you haven't seen it before, we'll let you go first. This is kind of exciting, especially with how surprised we have all been with how much you have enjoyed these films. I would say, like our ratings (laughs) have been the same, and I have been more positive of those in those ratings. So you're on so far on my side of the fence. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm interested. Anyway, what, what is your two cents?
4: Yeah. So Dark of the Moon. Um, I, like I said, I'd kind of forgotten that I hadn't seen this. I sort of thought that I had. Um, it just came out so long ago. So, yeah, I'm really glad I got an opportunity to do it. And, and I've said this a lot of times, you know, uh, doing episodes on Matt Goes to the Movies or over here on The Basement Binge. It's given me the opportunity and an excuse, really, to watch movies I've never seen before that I've always meant to get around to or maybe revisit something that I wouldn't normally have made the time for. So that's really been a a lot of fun for me. Um, So dark of the moon. Wow. Is a dark movie. Holy cow. This movie is dark. Like there's straight up executions. There's um, a lot of things that I found like a little weird having my kids in the room with me. Cause like I mentioned, I do, I've been doing a lot of watch assignments with, with the kids and especially my son lately. This one, I kind of was like, wanting to check to make sure they were okay with what was going on. Cause there's, you know, Optimus prime just straight up points as cannon at Decepticons heads and obliterates them like multiple times in this movie, which by the way, like in universe makes sense. Um, but it was just kind of like, Oh wow. Um, sure. I guess. But you know, kind of like Harrison, some of the things you've been talking about so far with the series is this is very much like a child at play, you know? So yeah, you would do that. Like when you're playing with your transformers as a kid, you would do that kind of stuff. Um, there's some of the same nonsense we've seen with Michael Bay up to this point. There's a lot of that kind of he- stuff here. There's action scenes that make literally no sense at all whatsoever, but damn, are some of them cool. I mean, when Michael Bay goes into slow motion, you can see him in full on Bay mode. Like he is just bayed to the max <laughs> with these slow motion action scenes. And if you are into his style, you will enjoy this movie if you are not really a fan of his style, you will likely not enjoy this movie. It's got his same kind of hallmark objectification, except now, you know, Megan Fox called him a Nazi. So she got kicked off the movie and they wrote a new character in that, you know, you could have just called her Michaela. She functions the same way. Like there really isn't much that changes here. Um, And there's still the same objectification. It's still, she's running through an apocalyptic scenario and heels again. Like it's just kind of dumb that way. but there's some fun character moments. There's, there's the, you know, really there's some of the characters we've grown to like and enjoy. Um, you get some, some great moments between them. So, um, yeah, I'll say I had fun watching it for the first time.
2: Yeah, this is, this is going to be a fun episode. Just already based off what you have to say. I'm excited to talk about this movie more. So I will go next with my two cents and then we'll have Matt, you go. So two cents about this film, totally spoiler free. I'm still kind of up in the air about how much I actually like it. I would say my real rating that we'll get to at the end of this episode isn't confirmed. And it's because it has so much of those things, like Rob said, that just really work. Like the action is awesome. The visual effects are awesome. The sound mixing is awesome. It, it, It is absolutely Michael Bay. And I've mentioned how much I enjoy his vein of filmmaking in a way. But there's parts of it that are just like wacky. And is a little bit long and kind of extreme and and doesn't, like, just, it. it is very much kids playing with toys where it just jumps from one thing to another. A character will disappear in a scene just to come back 20 or 30 minutes later just because they're suddenly needed, which, again, is totally fine. Like, it, it's not necessarily taking me out of it. But when I finish the movie and look back at it, it's just like, yeah, that this isn't great. But, man, did I really enjoy it while I was watching it. Uh, and, yeah, it, it, I will say... No, actually, I'm going to say that for a later segment. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Michaela, Megan Fox's character is gone, and the Transformers just continue their destructive war for the sake of Earth. And, you know what? It's just absolutely ridiculous at this point, but, hey, I'm here for it. So I I enjoyed this. As, I, I had kind of forgotten about this movie. Like, I remembered parts of it, but I also forgot how dark it is and, like, how uh, much they lose. If that makes sense. Like there was, uh, that, that, uh, I saw on, I think it was, a, a tra- I watched the trailer for, um, revenge of the fallen. And one of the comments said, um, something along the lines of when, when so-and-so was, whoever was, was watching the movie. They didn't know how the transformers were going to win. Like they thought the Decepticons had won. And I feel like that makes more sense in this movie. Uh, that it it gets pretty extreme, the the circumstances that they're up against, um, but it's it's just an absolute uh, Michael Bay movie, nonetheless. And and so it's fun. And and I will say that Michael Bay really has a way of making it work. That even though this movie's long and takes a while to get going, when you get to the final act, it's going. And and I'm there for it, and I'm enjoying it. There's something about the third act that he he works in a way that no matter how ridiculous, how long it takes to get there, we're there, and I'm I'm glad we're here, and I'm enjoying it. So. Those are my spoiler-free thoughts. kind of hard to get into more without spoilers. So, Matt, what are your spoiler-free thoughts?
3: Yeah, so I... This movie is a yin and a yang. It is... Again, it's totally Michael Bay. And in a lot of points, that works. But in so many areas, it doesn't. It is inherently too long. Um, You could cut 30 minutes off this movie, just like any other Transformers movie. Um Besides the first one, I, f- I still feel that the first one um, you don't really need to cut a lot um, compared to his other movies. But I think you cut 30 minutes out of this movie, it becomes much better. There's also a lot to me in the beginning. There's a lot more objectifying. Like, I thought it was bad with Megan Fox. I really did forget how objectifying it is to um, I, what's the new girl's name again? I'm sorry. Michaela 2.0. Yeah, right. Um it's sort of the, there, yeah, the Car- characters Carly. actually. Carly, there's some lines in the beginning of this movie that are really objectifying and you know what they're saying. Um, and we can talk about that in spoilers, but I will say I do appreciate this movie's willingness to go darker, no pun intended, with darker the moon, but in terms of what happens in this movie, how ruthless the Decepticons are, which is how you would think of them treating humans uh i I do appreciate that they were willing to go darker with this movie uh it's definitely not a kids you know there's definitely scenes that are not for kids and rob you talked about this but i remember going to see this at midnight and then taking brandon when he was very very young to see this and we actually towards the third act we had to leave because of what was happening um it was very upsetting to him as a as a kid um And rightfully so, when we get into spoilers, some of the things that you see on screen, it's like they definitely didn't do this in the first two movies. Um,
4: That's still not as bad as when you let them watch X-Men Origins Wolverine.
3: (laughs) That's true. Um, (laughs) Which was uh, just a
4: couple weeks ago, by the
3: way. It it was. Uh, But yeah, no, I I will say that I definitely uh, I, I do enjoy this movie. But there are parts of it where because I enjoy it, I'm a little bit more critical because, again, it's it's so Michael Bay that you sit there and go, at least for me, like if you could just get over yourself, sometimes you would have such a better movie. And I I feel like an example of that is Pain and Gain, if anybody's ever watched that. Hmm. To me, it's amazing, like movies like The Island and Pain and Gain there's such a different michael bay feel or or even the new movie ambulance that he did i'm like there's really good stuff here Um, yes but then he just again like in these transformers movies he gets to michael bay yeah so
2: well said well said i agree with that so yeah those are spoilers free thoughts on the movie um this is going to be fun episode i'm i'm as I was watching, you know, when you're watching a movie and you're like, I'm excited to talk about that. This is this movie has a lot of those moments, both good and bad moments where I, I'm excited to talk about it. So um, before we move further on into the segment, I want to give both Matt and Rob a chance to talk about things that are happening over at Matt Goes to the Movies or anything else that they want to talk about. The floor is yours to say whatever. Before I give you the floor, though, I got to say that I just listened to uh, Matt's review on the black phone. And now this episode is coming out, uh, I think, trying to do math in my head when this is gonna, I think a week after that episode was released, so it's been out for a while. But I highly recommend listening to that movie. I And I'm saying that as someone who will never watch The Black Phone. I, I just will go nowhere near that horror film. And Matt did a fantastic job at giving me what I wanted about the movie without having to watch it. And that is like exactly what movie podcasts should do. It was fantastic. So I, I of things happening, or that have happened at the, Matt Goes to the Movies, I highly recommend that episode. But anyway... Matt, the floor is yours about anything you want to say about Matt of the Movies. Thank
3: you. Uh, yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. I am a huge uh, horror movie fan, so it was really fun watching that movie and, and talking about it. Um, by the time people are listening to this episode, I will have uploaded my reviews of uh, DC League of Super Pets, and we will have also uploaded an episode for... Uh, I'm sorry. Also, uh, for the movie Nope, that has been recorded, and I'm just uploading, getting ready to upload that. And then Rob and I will be getting together to watch the new movie Prey, um, releasing on Hulu and in some countries Disney Plus instead of Hulu. Um, That's the, weird. Yeah, I know it is. It is a weird release for for Prey, um, but I'm really looking forward to that because. If anybody knows those Predator movies, you can say what you want about them, but they haven't been well panned by critics since the first one. Uh, But this movie is getting rave reviews from previews, some even calling it a tragedy that it is not getting a theatrical release, um, that it is very good. So uh, really looking forward to actually watching that movie and then giving our thoughts on it.
2: I'm excited for that. And in the EPU,
4: I have something to announce. We uh, I have booked a co-host and a show for tomorrow. It will be I have a recording time set up with a new co-host uh, that I'm very excited about. So hopefully that should be up shortly after before, you know, probably around the time this episode releases. I'm excited for it.
2: Wow. A new co-host. My new interest co-host. is extremely peaked. Rob, can yeah. I take
4: a,
3: Can I take a guess? You can. You can wink at me because we can see each other (laughs) if I'm I'm right. Are you doing The Crow? (laughs) No. Okay.
2: (laughs) No. Not The Crow. Uh, You know, Rob, with your EPU, I'm still trying to catch up on the last episodes because a lot of those movies that you review are like those titular movies on your watch list that you're like, I should see this. This is an important movie to watch. And you just like never get to or have a moment to. And and every time I'm like, oh, I need to listen to this episode. I'm like, I can't until I watch the movie. So,
4: yeah, hope. the most recent we you know I haven't released an episode of Rob's reviews in in several months. I want to say the last one Eric and I did was The Rocketeer, which is just such a fun action movie. Um, it's on Disney Plus as as we record this, and uh, I can't recommend that movie highly enough. If uh, if you've never seen it, or if it's been like fifteen years, which is how long it had been since I had seen it last. If it's been 15 years since you've seen it, go check it out on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's, it's a heck of a lot of fun. And then go download the episode and uh, listen to us break down all the action.
2: All right. So exciting things happening over at Matt Goes to Movies. And there are even without those episodes coming, there are tons of great episodes over at Matt Goes to Movies. So subscribe to that wherever you are currently listening to this. It is linked below. Also just Matt Goes to Movies wherever you get podcasts. Pretty memorable title. Not, easy, not hard to find. Um, so, moving on to the next segment here, we are going to rummage for the rotten. This is yeah. where we all guess who we think is going to be the rotten or the individual who likes it the least. Surprisingly, it has not been Rob uh, on any of these. <laughs> I, consistently, especially for these Michael Bay movies, is a ton of fun.
4: It's almost disappointing.
2: Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, it's been. I'll
4: try harder <laughs> next
3: time.
2: <I> <laughs> it has been Matt every time, and. I don't know what to guess. I've <laughs> I, I, I've I've known Rob
3: three years now, and I've never seen him as happy watching Michael Bay movies. So I don't know what's going on with the world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I'm struggling to like my brain is struggling to compute the information that it has. Uh, so for a guess, for the sake of the segment, I'm going to say it's going to be Matt. But I could I would not be surprised if it, he is tied with Rob or myself. Like. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I don't even know what I'm going to rate it. So that's my guess that, that Matt potentially tied with one of us.
3: Uh, uh, so I do think it's going to be me, but I do not think it is going to be uh, not for the same reason that Revenge of the Fallen or some of the other movies that we'll talk about will be me uh, where I'm going to be super critical uh, of the movies. I, I do think um It'll be me, but just for the simple fact of there are some things that I can't overlook for this, where I feel like just based off of your spoiler free reviews, you guys are willing to kind of let slide where I'm giving it some points off for that.
4: And I'm going to go with a basement binge first on Rummish for the Rotten, and I'm going to call a tie for Rummish for the Rotten. Matt and I are going to have the same review.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay, so we'll see what happens. So now on to the next thing, and again, spoilers will be coming out, kind of reveal, kind of giving away our cards for Rummage with the Rotten. Pick your poison: the rating scale here at the Basement Binge, but also because this is an interesting rating scale, doesn't give away too much. All about the bingeability of the film, and if you, how you would choose to interact with it after seeing it this one time. Four options: the bottom, worst rating you can give it is to never watch it again. Self-explanatory. Above that is to stream it. You're browsing, you're looking for something to watch on a service you're already paying for. You'd click on it. Above that, rent it in the right circumstances. You pay a few bucks. And you probably guess that the highest rating it can receive is to buy it digitally, physically, however. Own it. Watch as many times as you you can. So, uh, Matt, we'll have you go first, and then Rob, and then myself. What is your Pick Your Poison?
3: So, for me, this is a stream. Uh, it is on Paramount Plus uh, currently. And this is a movie that I could see myself just randomly popping on if I was scrolling through, um, or it just popped up in a suggested list. I, I could see myself clicking on this again. Um, would I buy this movie? No. As I get further away from wanting to collect things, there are only certain movies that I do want to physically own and have um in this day and age. This this definitely would not be one of them. But this this is a solid stream for me. If it's on a streaming service. I would click on it and watch it again.
2: All right. Fair enough. So Rob,
4: I would, and I can't just, unfortunately, once again, I cannot give just a straightforward answer to this uh, segment. I would stream the first hour and a half of this movie, but I would be willing to rent the last hour because the last hour of this movie, it's, it doesn't really slow down. If you've ever seen the movie uh Crank with Jason Statham, which is I I love that movie by the way. I absolutely love that movie. I adore that movie. It's nonsense, it's fun. Throw popcorn in your face and don't think about it too much. Um the last I think it's like hour, hour and a half of this movie is very much like that. Once and again, we're in, we're in spoiler territory here, but once the Autobots supposedly get launched into space and the attack on Chicago begins, this movie never slows down and there is so much nonsense in there that we'll get to. But um, I found myself going, Oh yeah, this is awesome. You know, like i got, I was like really into it. So I would actually pay a few dollars to watch that part of the movie, but I would only stream the first half.
2: Okay. That's a fair rating. And that's, that's very, very similar to mine. I I talked about this at great lengths in the past episode for revenge of the Fallen. There's something about the third act that really works for me. And Again, it happened here. I would say the first two-thirds of this movie aren't as long as Revenge of the Falling. They're more passable and less annoying and easier to watch. I don't feel the length as much. But I get to that third act and I'm like, oh yeah, I'd watch that thing again. So so I I own this movie again because I got... I, I also own it as a steelbook. I own all the Transformer movies in a steelbook. Like, what the heck? Uh, but it's because they were so cheap. They're like $6 each on Black Friday and I was like, sure, why not? You know, I'm a collector. I'll buy the dumb Transformers steelbooks that no one else wants. Um, but yeah, the, the the final act of this film, I have rewatched multiple times and I will rewatch it again. So for that reason, it's a buy. the rest of the movie, I could stream it. It's, it's not bad enough where I will never watch it again. And there's parts of it that are fun. And uh, yeah, I, I would, I would, streamed that the rest of that movie so um on to the next segment which is live up we get to talk about our expectations for the film rob but you in particular this will be interesting as you hadn't seen it before and i wonder what that was like like thinking you have seen a movie and then realizing you haven't that's always a weird experience um did you watch the trailer rob
3: like did you watch the trailer before watching it to be like kind of oh did i watch this or anything because i have watched the trailer for all three of these movies before we
4: have watched them no i just fired okay. it up and put it on did not uh watch the trailer
2: yeah so i i want to hear about what that was like like when you realized you hadn't seen it um so yeah our expectations and add the name of the segment were they able to live up to those expectations i'll go first and this is what i'll say i don't know necessarily what i was expecting because after um revenge of the fallen i was not sure what i thought of these films anymore but i was expecting to enjoy the Michael Bayness of it, you know, like we are. Like, it's a Transformers movie, and I we're, we're three movies in deep now to Michael Bay's Transformer films. So I knew what we were getting into, and I was just expecting more of that. Um, and I, I think one of the reasons that it did exceed my expectations in a positive way is that I was almost like expecting it to continually go downhill. Because... You and I, Rob, especially, we really enjoyed that first movie. All three of us did, but Rob and I specifically, we really enjoyed that first movie. And then Revenge of the Fallen is a huge decline. And so I had this slight expectation where it would just keep getting worse. And so it it exceeded the expectations that way, where it's, I think, better in a lot of ways than Revenge of the Fallen. But it's also exactly what I expect. And, And when the film finished, and then Linkin Park started playing over the credits... I wrote this down in my notes that there's nothing quite like watching a Michael Bay Transformers movie where Optimus Prime just came in and saved the Autobots and earth at the last seg second and, and everything blew up and, and then it's finished with um, Optimus Prime narrating something about the right we have to freedom and how, and, you know, inviting all Autobots to come to earth and so on and so forth. And then that very specific font and Lincoln Park plays like, like that is just such a specific feeling that, I mean, like obviously I ex- explained it to the T, but if you get what I'm saying, like that is something that not other movies can produce the way that Michael Bay's transformer movies do. And it's not a negative thing. There's a lot of it. That's really positive. Like there's like when, especially when Link, that Lincoln Park song like started to go into that, like choral harmony. I was like, yeah, this is this is why I watch Transformers movies. Like, whatever feeling I'm having right now, this is what I wanted. And it and it absolutely delivered on that. And like I said, the third act was a ton of fun. When 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 Optimus Prime comes in on his jetpack and just wrecks everybody, like that's just a ton of fun. And and that is exactly what I want in Transformers movies. And even earlier in the first part of the movie where it's slow, there's parts of it that I really enjoy. Um, Shia LaBeouf, he is insane and it's hilarious. Like Hey, on screen just continually makes me laugh. And uh, additionally, even though Michaela's gone, the relationship between him and Carly was surprisingly human. And like I had an interest in their relationship, even though immediately I was disappointed it wasn't Megan Fox's Michaela. So there, there's a lot of it that works. Uh, I'm always impressed with the way Michael Bay combines visual effects with practical or, or CGI with, with practical effects. There's one fight on like the highway Kind of halfway through the movie, where I'm still trying to figure out how they made that work. Where there's like cars rolling and exploding, and it's because of Transformers rolling it. Like how they combined those two elements so beautifully, like seamlessly, is is really impressive to me. So yeah, it it, it exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways because I had a lot of fun with it consistently. Where the last movie kind of left me feeling like I was only going to have fun when the third act, where. I The fun was maintained, but it was at the highest point at the end. so that was, I guess my expectations. So Rob will let you go last because again, your experience is unique, so Rob, what were your or Matt, sorry, Rob, you'll go last. Matt, what were your expectations and did it live up?
3: Yeah, I would say that you know the reason why I asked Rob if you watch the trailer is, you know, Michael Bay has a way of cutting these trailers that make you. Forget almost the last movie. Um specifically after one. You you watch the trailer for this. I again I'll I'll talk about when I first saw it and now. And you just go, Okay, well that looks good. And I again I will say I I really do give this movie credit for going with some darker themes. You know, again, the action scenes are really well done. I do believe there's some pretty good human elements uh, to this movie. I do think there's a little bit more um, in the form of one of the segments that we're going to talk about, Transformers Translation, compared to Revenge of the Fallen. I think there's more stuff that you can talk about in regards to that. Um, But then again, there's just some things that really are, again, they're just too Michael Bay and it's an incredibly to me uh this is where i kind of disagree with rob a little bit uh the third act is incredibly too long for me i think it does slow down a little bit um and i'll i'll talk about that in, in a couple other you know points but I, yeah there's just some things that i just can't forgive because it's all it's always the same thing it's like he didn't it, it's he learned how to do the things that he did good better throughout the movies But he never, to me, in all of these movies, Michael Bay never figured out how to fix what's wrong with them. Um, And so as I keep going through these, it just stands out more and more that the faults of these movies are a little bit more inexcusable to me because you had five chances to go back and look, and it's like he didn't make any adjustments. So that is kind of a roundabout way of saying it still lived up to what I wanted. but also, there's part of me that thinks that it's, it's really hard not to after "Revenge of the Fallen," because it's amazing looking at the first movie and the third movie and going I, again, I know there was a writer strike, but what ha- like, how did this happen? Like, the, the second one is such a huge fall from the first and the third movie to me. It's, it's fascinating.
4: So I had pretty low expectations coming into this, um, forgetting that I'd actually never seen it. Um, some things that I did know about this movie is that it is the worst reviewed film of the series. It's it's very low on Rotten Tomatoes. It does not get good reviews by most of your, your traditional outlets. Um, so coming into it, I had very low expectations once I realized, oh God, yeah, no, I've never seen this. Okay, let's, let's see what happens. Um, So the bar was set very low for me. This thing has very cringy moments. It has funny moments. It's got some weird things about it. Some amazing effects. The plot is mostly stupid. I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of things that you can point out and say, that's dumb. That makes no sense. That's just Michael Bay, you know, full, full auto Bay. Like he's just running right at it as fast as he can without anybody to slow him down. Um, And at the same time, um, I had a lot of fun. I, so I would say that this exceeded my expectations. Um, and I was very surprised at how much it exceeded my expectations by.
2: As we sit here and talk, I'm, I'm, I'm really agreeing with more, you more, Rob, that there's a lot more of this that works for me than there is that doesn't. Like, I am retroactively having more fun with it than I wanted to. I think part of it was that I was initially because I had low expectations. I was like looking for fault in it where now I'm like, whatever I enjoyed it. Like I'm going to let myself enjoy it. And and those things that I enjoyed are like given room to breathe and become more enjoyable, uh, which is interesting. So yeah, that there's are all our expectations. Um, Again, Rob, I'm consistently surprised. This is not how I ever (laughs) thought that that, that this would go. Uh, But that's why this, these episodes are so fun. So um, On to the next segment here, binge points. These are Easter eggs details. Actually, before we move on to binge points, this is one thing that I want to ask the two of you. I think all of us were aware, especially, well, I know we were all aware, Rob, you had mentioned it last episode that Megan Fox was fired from these films because she called uh, Michael Bay a Nazi. Apparently that was Steven Spielberg's doing. Yeah, Michael, to
3: Michael Bay actually did not care. Um, but, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, Steven Spielberg was like, absolutely livid with that comment uh, interesting and and said she's she's gone she can't be here
2: oh so she she went bye-bye and Rosie Huntington Whiteley I think is how you say her name uh, who had only ever been a Victoria's Secret model was asked to um, audition and Michael Bay was so impressed with her I wonder why uh, that he invited <laughs> her to set the next day um and that's how she got the role of carly i will say that she does a decent job and she goes on to play um um splendid in mad max fury road and does a fantastic job at that um doesn't have an acting career too much outside of that so <coughs> excuse me so that was a big part of my expectations going in is is be especially with these viewings i feel like the three of us really connected to the character of Michaela and her and Sam's relationship. We, we all, three of us, I think at some point, individually praised Megan Fox for her performance as Michaela. And so I was disappointed that she wasn't here because she was growing on me. And especially with how funny her and Sam were together in the last movie, I didn't want her to leave. And so I had like almost this disappointment that it was going to be someone else. And Matt, you call that this out in two cents, like especially how she's just so immediately objectified it was like, oh no, here we go. Like, this is even worse. Um, and there, and it, it, it's really bad. That first third of the movie, it is horrible. And in the end, there's even that one scene where like right before she goes to talk to Megatron, she like stands there. She's like right center frame and there's an explosion behind her. Her hair is perfectly curled. Her clothes are perfectly clean. Super perfect makeup. And it's like, this is the most ridiculous moment in a movie ever. Like, what is the point of the scene? Anyway. So, I'm curious to ask, and then I'll answer the question myself. Kind of what expectations did you have for this character? And, and did she live up to them? Was it better or worse than you thought? Um, I'm curious. Um, Matt, we'll go with you first.
3: You know, I, I don't think she was terrible. Um, she's not given a lot to do. Um, her lines certainly aren't the greatest. Um, so I didn't really mind her, and again, I will give them credit for her and Sam's relationship. Still felt pretty real. Uh, she talks about, you know, I I think it came up too late in the movie where Sam says, "I know you're thinking about your brother, but that's not this situation." And she's like, "Do you think we'd rather have him or his medals? Because um, he, you know, apparently died in combat and stuff like that." And I thought that was really good. I thought their relationship was pretty cute, especially when she asked him, like, if he wants money for lunch, and he's like, I don't need money for lunch. I have, like, their relationship felt real. So I don't really think that they missed anything. I don't think anything was missed by Michaela not being there. Um, But again, it would have been, I would have liked to see the two of them on screen again to just continue that relationship. Cause I felt like some of those scenes with them could have been a little bit. I shouldn't say improve. Cause the scenes weren't bad with their relationship, but it could have held more meaning because they were together for so long. Um, here, I don't really know if they ever talk about how, like how long these two are together. Cause she definitely at one point says like, we're not at the love words yet. And it's like, well, that feels like you haven't been together for that long.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, Yeah, I really agree with what you said. I'm going to wait to answer to hear what Rob says. But
3: I I, I will say, though, that I yeah, the whole like you said, the first third of the movie where the first scene is her walking up the stairs. Then it's Patrick Dempsey's character talking about the car and it's just lingering on her body. And then when the mom walks by and says, oh, my God, it's a beautiful box and the camera just is right on her. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like that is, it's way more objectifying than having Megan Fox bend over a motorcycle or bend over the hood of a car. Like the way they talk about this girl is, I think is way worse than what they did with Megan Fox.
2: Yeah. It's the, I would say the reason that I feel like it's worse is because it's the, the dialogue is around it. When before it was just like visually Megan Fox was, displayed. And then it was just like Sam kind of fumbling over himself around her where now it's like everybody is just calling attention to her, which was very weird.
4: Mm-hmm. The mom even has a line where, you know, she's talking about their relationship and saying something about how he, you know, was has managed to land two world-class hotties. How is he ever going to do that a third time? Like that whole scene is is uh, un- uh, yeah, because then she follows it up with something about he's She's a mom talking about her son's manhood size. Like that to me was probably the cringiest thing of this whole. Oh, absolutely. This whole film.
3: Can I say though, too, and that's that's part of my point where it's like it becomes to Michael Bay because you have that line in the same scene where the mom says, you know, there was a time when your father and I didn't think we were going to make it. And then he says the line like. I will follow you to the like to the ends of the earth or something like that. Yeah. And it's like that line right there and the way that those two characters look at each other and the way that Sam looks at his mom and dad and then decides he's going to go after Carly actually really works. But you have to have it after a scene where it's like, there's no need for that. And that's where I say, like, Michael Bay just cannot freaking help himself.
2: Yes. And I'm so glad you point that out, because that conversation becomes the leading motivation for Sam the entire third act of the film and is a huge reason that they end up in the situations that they are, which works. Like you said, it's a good line. And especially with having, uh, I forget the the name, but his two parents. And we've been in a relationship with these parents for three films now. We've been around them. We've seen their relationship. And so that line has even more substance. And I really liked it. And But it was annoying that I was continually called back to that conversation throughout the third act, thinking about Sam and how he was influenced by his parents and what his dad said, and then reminded the weird conversation he had with his mom. It was just like, why was that there? A a movie that, a moment that you're going to cause me to reflect on, why are you making me reflect on that?
4: (laughs) So, you know, I, at no point in the movie did I really feel like uh, Carly's character was so significantly different from Michaela. I mean, it literally the, the movie was already written. The screenwriter just went back and like hit the, um, you know, control, find and replace button. And everywhere that it said, Carly just, or everywhere that said Michaela just replaced with Carly. That's literally all it was. I mean, her character's not that drastically different. And then I think they maybe threw something in extra, you know, about her, her brother having been lost in combat, uh, you know, they, then they punched up a few other things to make it work. Um, I think that you know, Matt talked about it. The the biggest loss really in the change is that when you when you watch movies back to back to back the way that we are for this series, you kind of have so much of that fresh in your mind, you know, seeing these characters move from film to film to film, particularly the four, you know, that that foursome of Sam's parents, Sam, Michaela. You know, there's there's a relationship growing and building. And when you binge a series, being able to have that juxtaposed so closely together, there's just something kind of fun about that. And, you know, when we did Pirates of the Caribbean last summer on Matt Goes to the Movies, you know, I think that partially influenced my review of Dead Men Tell No Tales because seeing everybody together kind of again at the end of the movie after we had just watched them all back to back like that. Um, there was just something kind of fun about it. And I don't know, there's a little, it, it takes a little bit of the shine off of it when you don't have everybody all together.
2: That's very well said. Because because when I was, to answer the question, I think Rosie was fine in the way she plays Carly. And I think that in having to replace an actress and a character, they did a decent job to make it that, you know, Sam broke up with uh, Michaela and he's got a new girlfriend. And like, to make the newness of their relationship part of the film and to incorporate it, not just like at one did you moment.
4: Need, I just made it wonder for a second. Did you need an explanation for that? Because they glossed over that as hard as they possibly could. Like, nope, we just broke up. It is. And did you yeah. feel like you need an explanation? Because I kind of felt like I wanted a little bit. more. Yes.
2: Yes. That's what I was going to say is that that. And and as I enjoyed their relationship, because I felt like Carly and Sam together on screen had something that genuinely felt like a relationship. I think we all have experienced films where it's two actors or an actor and actress together and there's it's not a relationship. This felt like a relationship. The banter between them, them teasing each other, the conversations they have the way they talk to each other, even as it's sometimes horribly written for Carly, uh, Rosie's character, that it, it was a relationship. And so that was good, and and that exceeded my expectations, but it made me miss Michaela more. And then to have it not explained while she was gone was even more frustrating.
3: Well, because they kind of, I'll just take a step back, they almost have their, they want to have their cake and eat it too, because, you know, they say, I don't know about moving in with this girl, what if she dumps us like the last one, and then the other robot's like, yeah, she was mean. And that's the whole, you know, explanation of why they're gone, but then, like I mentioned earlier, They've moved in together. They're not sure if this is the right move, but they've moved in together with not being at the love word yet.
4: I mean, for the record, Matt told me he loved me for the first time after about three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Your wife,
3: your wife, your wife wouldn't let me move in. So.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh
2: man the two of you i'm not going to repeat the conversation that happened before we started recording but rob has a way to just always surprise me with the comments he he has so quickly it's fantastic oh that was hilarious um i you made me completely forget what i was going to say oh yeah when when the two robots are like oh that last girl was mean it's like what the heck I don't I don't remember who it's brains or what's his name? Mudflap? Is that his name? The leather little robot? I'm not sure who <laughs> says it, but they, like, Mudflap, he loved Michaela. Uh, you know. Well, I mean, he was dry humming her leg in one he, scene in the last movie, so I'm sure and hope he, he did. He's in
3: this one's underwear drawer too, so
2: <laughs> he's a good guy. He's, good <laughs> yeah. lord. Yeah, so, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a weird mixed bag where I felt like her and uh, Shia LaBeouf together on screen are fun, but, it, but that funness, like, I think you said it doesn't quite shine as much because you miss what it could be. Um, so, yeah,
3: I will say too, that I do think they portrayed very well too, without it seeming too over the top. I thought they portrayed like the insecurity of Sam very well too. Oh yeah. Being with this girl and then Patrick Dempsey's character. He's in this huge building. Patrick Dempsey's a good looking guy. Like I thought they did play that really well. And like the fact that like he knows what he's doing. He's calling her nicknames in front of Sam. He's talk like he's staring at her when he's like, look at the curves. Look at this. And Sam's like, oh, that's that's awesome. You guys have nicknames. Very cool. Um, I thought they played that really. I actually do think they played that really well. And then also to the point where towards the end where he's like, I don't want a recommendation, I don't want an email, I just want a moment with my girlfriend. Is that cool, Mr. inappropriate? And it was like, yeah, that seems like a natural progression. Like, yeah, like you're way out of, like you're way out of line with her.
2: Yes. I I liked the three of them, that entire relationship. And I felt like it it made Sam's arc of being insecure not just with his girlfriend, but insecure that he doesn't have a job and wanting to feel important and and all that wrapped together, I felt like was a good story throughout the entire film. And to have him involved, where not only is he like an antagonist towards Sam, just like socially, he's an antagonist in the film. And all that wrapped together makes it really fun. And I think that the three of them, whenever they're in a scene together, I think works really well. I do enjoy You know, that. We've
4: seen these kinds of things before. We've seen the attractive girlfriend, the, you know, not, you know, the the guy that's punching way outside his weight class let's say you know and and she's got this attractive boss or just you know other friend that somehow shows up but we've seen these kinds of things in movies before and i'm sitting there watching it going okay here we go and we get a few tropey things but the way they handle it i actually think is better than we've seen this same scenario play out in another film so it was i was pleasantly surprised
2: yeah, well, I agree with that. Well said. And it's, again, surprising that we're saying this in a Michael Bay movie. And I think that part <laughs> of that is the performers and how they're performing. I, I, I said yeah. this earlier in my two cents. I love Shia LaBeouf as Sam Woodwicky. Like, it is.
3: When a, he hits the, the jackhammer leg on that car, I cracked
2: Oh, with the hood sh- open? When and he's, sh- he's just the hell
3: out of that thing? Oh,
2: my gosh. That in, when he's, like, losing it and he's getting mad at her. And he's, like, just getting the car. Like, that entire conversation. And he's, like, losing it. And they, he is so crazy and it's funny. He is extremely entertaining to me as Sam Witwicky. Uh, just even later in the movie when he's getting mad at people because they won't listen to him that he wants to see the Autobots and he's just like, he's 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 really entertaining. And he even makes the most cringiest things like that watch he has where it's like controlling him. And it's absolutely absurd. Like, this is ridiculous. This is super cringy. He has a good way of making it work where even if it's cringy, it's at least entertaining. Uh, So, yeah, that's one part of the film that I really. Yeah,
4: because, again, I mean, thinking about the logical ways that if you actually had technology that could do that, like this is one of the things I hated about them being able to sort of clone people in the in the second movie. So if you have this watch that taps into central nervous system and you're trying to you know wipe some some humans out or take over the planet, you just you just connect that to somebody who's got the nuclear football, like the guy that's got the keys, like the nuclear codes, you connect it to that guy. There's a couple people that have it. It's usually just the president, but there's other people that have it. Like that's who you get it on. (laughs) Like so, you know, little things like that they introduce, and then you, if you kind of think about it a little bit, it it kind of sounds dumb, like why they don't use it better. But I, you know, it's excusable because you get to see Shia LaBeouf look like he's really constipated, and somehow it just it's really funny.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well said. Extremely well said. Um, One other thing before we move on to other segments that it really exceeded myself with this film is how it just continually like these movies just get bigger and bigger. Uh, like we have John Malkovich and Francis McDormand in a Transformers movie. And, uh, Francis McDormand, yeah, say what you will about her. I don't think she's really enjoying herself here, but it seems like John Malkovich and John Turturro are just loving everything they're doing. Like, I really feel like they were having fun and, and it makes me have fun. Like at the end, when, uh, it's like an end credit scene where John Turturro's character like scoops up Francis McDormand's character and kisses her. And he's like, I'm ready to go to jail. Like he's looking down the barrel of the camera. And I think it's, he was like ad libbing and just like having fun with the character. And that energy is in his character consistently, which is just crazy. Like that these actors are on set of a Transformers movie, just doing the absolutely absurd things, but they're having fun with it. And so I, and don't forget, we also get Buzz Aldrin. Buzz freaking yeah. Aldrin. I could not believe. Like, when they mentioned him, and then he walked in, I was like, that's actually Buzz. Like, what <laughs> the heck? <laughs> I was so surprised.
3: Can, just kind of like going over all this stuff, I I, I do want to point out one of the things where I think maybe I'm a little bit, uh, I'm going to use the phrase less forgiving again, so I apologize. But. The one thing that I don't like about Sam in this movie is he did go from like I do still kind of find it really weird with everything that he's done that he can't get a job. He's still getting he's still getting questioned about why the government was looking for him. I do find those things very weird. And then he has a complete 180 about how he doesn't want to be with the Autobots and he wants to be on his own. To he says a line here like, I should be working with the Autobots. Like, what's going on? Um, And then, like, he kind of scolds B. He's like, you can't call. You can't come over and visit. Like, what's going on? Come over here. Let me talk to you. It, It just seems really odd in a couple of times during this movie that he can't get a job. But I will say, I do really like the line where John Malkovich's character is like, You where you know, again, he's like, I I want a job where I actually matter. And like, I saved your life twice. And I'm like, "Eh, whatever, I don't care. I do like the line, though, where he says you want the job after this job. But what you don't understand is that this is the job. And I think that's actually really like
2: that's like solid advice.
3: Like, it's correct. Like, just because you think you should get it doesn't mean you're going to like you're like, you got to put your boots on and you're. Your pant legs are going to get wet. You're going to step through some mud first, and then you're going to get to where you want to be. You don't get to just always walk through the door. Um, I do think that part works really well. But, there, yeah, there's just certain parts where I'm like, it doesn't make sense. And it still doesn't make sense that like all of these things are top secret. And even when the director comes in, who doesn't like to be called ma'am, what she's just heck? a re- to me, she's a replacement for that guy that rips the paper out of his jacket in, <laughs> in the second movie. Yeah. Like it's literally the same character, only now it's a female. But also, she's like, "Was your little group involved?" And he's like, "Geez, I, I, I can't really tell you. Um, the, these Autobots, they're, uh, you know, they're like kids. They like to sneak out in the middle of the night." And I'm like, "What the hell are we do- like? What the hell are we doing? Like, it doesn't make sense to me that they're still in secret." I also don't get the scene where they're like, "Now we work with humans to solve their conflicts." And then it shows one scene of like Bumblebee like actually killing people. Like he just <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, what what was that scene? What was that mission?" And then Prime's little temper tantrum when they find another long lost Autobot part and he's like, "You told us that you had everything." And it was like, "Dude, this thing was in Russia. The US wouldn't know about that." Like y- like you're acting like a teenager. I, I thought yes, some that of those was things. Bad. Yeah. Like I thought those things were really weird. And I did find it, I'm sorry, I found it really cringy when again I forget the the lady's name who's running thing uh like running things behind the scenes. And she's like, Allow me to introduce you to and they were just like waiting behind that plastic curtain to be like, here's your cue to walk in. Like when all the astronauts walked in and everything. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, so they were just standing there waiting for her to tell them to come in like
2: yes okay,
3: okay. Um, so I do think there's some really I do think there's some really odd things um, in, in it, this movie
2: the, here's the thing this is the way I say it. The, the means by which they they create circumstances of conflict or they create story points the the things that they employ to have that story point are absolutely ridiculous it, it, like like Sam not having a job Sam wanting to be with the Autobots now after the second movie, he didn't want to be the continual repeat of the higher power government person coming in and complaining to Captain Lennox, like, and just like they—they're not very good at creating reasonable means to be in the position that we're in. It's just like, oh, hey, we're in this position, just go with it. Uh, You know, similar stance to the the breakup, like, oh yeah, we broke up, just go with it, type of thing. Like, it's there's no real reason for why we are where we are.
4: And that kind of bothered me almost throughout this entire movie where, you know, just to kind of go back to the whole Sam looking for a job thing, being such a major plot point. um, Like literally none of these government connections he has can get him a job. Like I'm not all that connected in, in any way at all. But if somebody I know is saying, Hey, I'm looking for work. Like, I could probably find you a gig like I, I'll make a couple of phone calls. I know some people that are hiring like I'll get you a gig <laughs> like, you know, it's it's really it's, it's amazing to me that all of these, you know, top secret government offices can't just like push two buttons and also delete his record uh, that the FBI was looking for. Him. Like that seems weird that that's still there. Um, and it also seems like kind of a security, um, I guess, like open like a, an opportunity for something to go wrong that people could find that out about him. And I guess one of the other big things right out of the gate, the whole moon mission just seems like a drive through MacGuffin. Like, okay, here you go. Pick up your MacGuffin on the way through. Like they (laughs) they introduce this moon mission right at the beginning of the movie to set the conflict in action. But somehow Sector 7 never knew anything about it. They already existed by that point. The Hoover Dam was built in the early 1900s. They would have known and they would have been involved. But doesn't
3: she say that this was, I I thought she said this was sector seven clearance until now. Yeah. Isn't isn't that what she said? But It's weird that, that John
4: Turturro's character didn't really already know everything about it. And that some of this stuff would never came up before. Like it just, and that's, that's the hard thing when they, when they go back in time to introduce things that then have to play forward and, and they just never really work very well. It's just so weird that this moon mission was never mentioned again throughout any of the
2: action of the first two movies. And and, and especially that the, the, there's humans that have been working for the Decepticons. Like, I could understand it now, where the Decepticons, Megatron is in the position he's in, so now he has a laser beak, you know, kind of causing humans to work for him, uh, manipulating them, that's the what I was searching for. But to say that it's been happening for years, that Patrick Dempsey's character inherited this client, it, it's, it's kind of contradictory That's like, well, where were these things when the Transformers were blown up New York the first time.
3: And it's funny, like, it's not funny, but it's frustrating because some of it works really well. I think the fact that, you know, when he says, you know, they told him to do some creative accounting, make it so expensive that we could never go back to the moon. I think that works. I think racing to the moon for the space, like, for the space race, it makes sense in it. I will say, though, that one of the things that... um. When I like rewatching this, it was really cool seeing the space station stuff. And I was I was not alive during that time. But for some reason, like showing the old actual footage of people being in the streets and cheering and the the parade that they had. There was some weird sense of pride during during those scenes. But then it was to me, there were it was undercut by those really, really bad cut ins of actual movie footage that they shot where they have stand ins for like Kennedy. And it's like a CGI plastered face like the worst deep
2: fake you've ever seen.
3: Yes. Like it kept pulling me out of the action. And then I'm sorry, I don't know if you guys actually saw this. But good God, there's no reason that they pan the camera on the actor that they had playing Barack Obama because it's not even close. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's ter- the, like it's terrible. Yes. That they de- like it is horrible. So some of that stuff pulled me out of those first moments where I was like, yeah, this makes sense for the story of why they went to the moon and things like that. But then also it's like. Mm, if. Decepticons can turn into planes. There's no reason they were sitting dormant on the moon for this entire time. You did no, not uh, need, you, you really did not need the space bridge. I'm sorry. Like no, we saw no. Megatron in the second movie turn into a plane and fly to another freaking galaxy almost.
2: Yes. That's but, what I was about to say. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's like self-contradictory of multiple things, which is weird. And I'm glad that you brought up that thing with this the space race. Like and the speeches that they use, like I I forget um, who it was, but he was saying like the, the United States is united in, in Mm -hmm. pride of what is like, like I felt that I wasn't even there and I'm watching a dumb Transformers movie. And so like that really worked and it's weird that how well that works. And then like you said, like they even tried to like recreate the footage, like the archive footage with actors now and extras now it's like why not just use the archive footage like why did you need to recreate the audience cheering the uh, shuttle flying up in the air like you could have just used the archive footage if you get what I'm saying
4: I do sort of like alternate history though like I really get into the Assassin's Creed games like I really liked some of the ones that had Like uh, the third one that had like the, the real revolutionary war figures. Like I thought, like, I think that stuff's kind of cool. If you, you know, if you can insert clever things that were actually happening behind the scenes, that stuff is actually really cool to me. Um, and, and that's, I really enjoy that aspect of this, but I really hated the, you know, just the, the poorly used, um, moments of of trying to put somebody on screen that's already dead or was already much much older by that point like just get like frank caliendo to do somebody's voice and and don't actually show him on screen you know like yeah. that guy can dupe anybody's voice or mars ross marquand that guy's amazing at, at impressions like you get somebody who's does that really well and you don't put a uh a, a cg version of somebody we all know what jfk looks
2: like we've yeah. all seen his face like come on yeah Um, Matt, did you have some?
3: Yeah. Um, I, I just one other thing is that I'm really down on this movie for is the continued downward trend of Megatron. Um, yeah, because they act like he's this big tough guy, and again, I will tell you though, there's a there's there's two things. One, when he shows up with his Mad Max look
4: yeah that's awesome he looks amazing. and he's just wearing that duster for like no reason at all except it's badass
3: yes yeah and he growls and all
4: the animals run.
3: well i love that he tells the animals to hail megatron like that was, <laughs> like i love that um but then even when starscream is talking to him about like oh you were supposed to meet sentinel prime he is my gr- like he is my greatest accomplishment it's like you're his little errand boy. Like what, like you're still second fiddle to somebody. You're not like, and he's like, there's even a death. There's no command, but mine like BS, like you, you're an errand boy, like yeah. plain and simple.
2: Um, I know, did like I, how he addressed that that Sentinel prime was supposed to meet him on earth before. What does he say? Like fate intervened with both of them or whatever yes. he said. I, I mean, that made sense in universe. But I, I, I think like even the way towards the end of the movie where Carly goes up and and like Megatron is just chilling in an alley, like yeah, bugs eating his brain, he's just hanging out and he's like he's so happy that they've conquered Earth. It's like why are you just sitting here? Yeah,
3: and and what happened to your seat at the uh, the Lincoln statue? Because
4: that looked pretty cool.
2: Yeah, what? But why did you you just gave that up? <laughs>
4: Well, and that's where I'm kind of confused on the timeline there because Megatron crashes to Earth in the Arctic Circle at some point, or maybe it's Antarctic. Either way, he's he's somewhere w- near one of the poles, just frozen. And then sometime, and I guess I just don't understand. I guess suppose the, the the moon crash landing could have happened almost at any time, and they didn't detect it till they had the, the technology for it. But I guess that's a little confusing to me.
2: Well, they no, did, uh, you do point it out because the movie opens with them detecting the crash on yeah, the moon what, and then that's why they start that? to go because they
3: do, they do give a timestamp at the beginning of the movie when it crashed
4: like so when they it detected cra- the crash so so it was he was in the 50s right or was it in the 60s when that
2: happened I well megatron that. was frozen in like the 1800s so there's no right. so so that's still like a hundred plus years yeah different. and that just so, doesn't
4: really make sense
2: okay so never mind take my appreciation for that line back <laughs> So, uh,
3: again, though, there's, there's things where it's like it's, it's good, but there's a lack of execution. When you, Rob has said it, when you stop to think sometimes, it just doesn't make sense. The, the sum of its parts are better than the whole. You, you can't look at how you got to the answer. You just have to go, all right, I guess I'll accept the fact that three plus two is eight
2: yeah it it kind of feels like they're just like oh hey this is kind of a good idea like this is a way that we could connect it but then they didn't like think about oh does this actually work like we are right now like it was just like oh yeah just put it in
3: and i do feel like the you know the sentinel thing i i feel like he's completely underutilized i feel like his turn was not i mean number one i think everybody saw it coming um I don't know. Like Rob, did you see that coming? This is the first time you've ever seen that movie. So did you did you know just based on things that you heard or whatnot? But I
4: felt it was super obvious. Um, I didn't know uh going into it, but it was like it wasn't like an oh my god, he'll turn kind of thing. Like it right. was just
2: like, oh yeah, I mean that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like sure. I, I, I will say I have seen this and I had kind of forgot that he had turned. And at, at first I was like, oh, he's going to turn like this is a Michael Bay Transformers movie. That's the way the things are going to go. But then when when Optimus offered him the matrix of leadership and he rejected it and he's like, and can be the leader in a world I don't recognize. Like, no, you are now the leader. I was like, oh, maybe not. You know, and like that uh, kind of duped me for a second. But then when he did turn, I was like, oh, OK, yeah, he does.
3: Like that scene was I thought that scene was really well done. And not only was it well done, that is a gorgeous shot.
2: Oh my gosh, Like, yeah.
3: that is absolutely and, gorgeous.
2: And the way Sentinel's like, this this world is so majestic or something like that, like, yeah, in that yeah. moment, they really did it, did it well. When he first wakes up, though, the whole argument
4: between him and the director is just terrible. Like, he wakes okay. up and suddenly knows everything about humanity and Earth, oh, and strangely. like so it's so cringy. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Like, just cut it. It doesn't add anything. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and her line delivery, too, is just like, oh, my God, you can't just bring wet, uh, a means of transportation. That's its military function. You can't just do this. And it's like. I, could,
2: Give me a break.
3: I do kind of agree with him, though, where he is like, it, it, he's like, I'll forgive that. Like, but you better you better know your place, like, because if we wanted to, we'd wipe you out like yeah. you're you're lucky. So don't talk to me like that.
2: Um, so one last question for the live up segment. I'm curious what the two of you thought about Alan Tudyk's character, Dutch, uh, John Turturro's assistant. I'm curious what you thought about that character.
4: Can we put Alan Tudyk in all movies? Yeah, just <laughs> always. Do. He is just so, so funny. Put him in everything. I don't even care what it is. Just put him in it. I'm happy about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, If I remember right, he's in the Maze Runner movies. I think it's Alan Tudyk. And he's kind of repeating his character that he has from The Hunger Games. And he's just a blast. And when I saw him on screen, I was like... And he's like, it's like all the buttons on the calculator that you never push. Like, he's just hilarious. Uh, An absolutely unnecessary character that's a lot of fun. Um, So... That's how the movie did and did not live up. Let's move on to the next segment that was delayed. Uh, Binge points. So Easter eggs, details, trivia, behind the scenes, anything else you want to mention. Uh, The first thing that I'll say, that this movie has a ridiculous amount of visual effects. Obviously, there's even more Transformers. The transformations sometimes are great, other times aren't. There's like one scene where Bumblebee slowly transforms and it's like, like in that moment, I really feel like there's a Transformer in front of me. It's kind of impressive. Um, But so for the visual effects for the driller, um, that was 70,000 pieces. And ILM who did it, it took their entire render farm. Like they couldn't have more than one project rendering. Uh, It took 122 hours per frame. Their entire render farm, 172 hours, 22 hours per frame. Uh, So 288 hours total uh, for driller's attack on the skyscraper which is insane. Uh, And then there was another... Let me get get to the detail here. Where did it go? Oh, okay. Here, Here it was. They used their entire... Like, all of their render machining, ILM did, for this film. Like, if anybody knows anything about visual effects, you have to render, and the computer has to take forever to push it out. And normally... They have, like, huge warehouses of render machines, and they divide them up to be rendering multiple things at once or multiple films at once. This film took over the entire... Machinery, your entire render farm of ILM, and and added up to more than two hundred thousand hours of rendering per day. That's like twenty-two years of render time in a twenty-four hour period, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, And the visual effects are incredibly impressive. So, I just thought it was a cool detail. But any bench points from either view?
3: Um, I I don't know if this is a bench point. I I just want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Um, that third act. uh, I'm sorry. I think the transformers look like dickheads. Um, you let a lot of people get wiped out for optimism. Just so you can make a
4: cool entrance
3: to, to make a speech and be like, we needed, like we needed them to think we were gone and we needed humans to realize that Decepticons will never leave your planet alone. And it's like, you had to do what? Like,
4: the Decepticons go all War of the Worlds on Chicago just so they can make a cool entrance, basically. Like, yeah,
2: like Chicago turns into the apocalypse. Like, Yeah.
4: And they go through a
3: night. They go through a day to night to day to night transition in that third act. So this didn't just happen. So they first came in, destroyed things, and then said... We will leave you alone after we take all the natural resources. Um, And I just felt like that's where it kind of I I do feel it bogged down there. Um, Also, I just I'm sorry, Harrison. I think you're right. I feel like this is the conclusion of a trilogy because they in the fourth, fifth. Wait, no. Fourth. Was that is the last night? The sixth. That's the the fifth. There's only five. Yes, there's only five. It almost feels like the fourth and fifth movie, although they acknowledge some things, are almost like their own thing because yes. if something happens at the end of this movie that they bring back in the fifth one, and I'm like, mm, that shouldn't be there. Um, also, though, the second you bring Cybertron into view of Earth, everything's done. I'm sorry, yep. physics does not work that way. Oh, gravity's <laughs> Earth, done for. Like that is over. Like. Forget it. Earth is no longer like that's it. I mean, it's a sweet shot. The
4: tides get destroyed.
3: Yeah, it it is a really cool shot. But yeah, it's just like that's mm, there's no way.
2: And then the way that at the end, it it sucks itself up into wormhole like Earth wasn't affected by that at all. Like Mm -hmm. now Cybertron's just gone.
4: Well, and you mentioned it, Matt, there's a day to night to day cycle because Epps has all of this time to drive from Florida to Chicago, which mm-hmm. is not just like right down the road. He drives all the way there. As soon as they get there, they're like, nah, I'm not going in there. And then they decide to go in there once the Autobots show up, which <laughs> that, that was just kind of dumb to me. But then why are there still people in those office buildings?
2: Hey, yeah, what the heck? Like Chicago <laughs> is is decimated and you are you showed up in heels and a it just uh, and a pantsuit to go to wartime level eighty five just to get <laughs> eaten by the drill like what what just
3: just remember if you ever think your boss is bad there's somebody in that building it was like no you've got deadlines I don't <laughs> like you better Listen, get into that office
4: I understand there are giant alien robots attacking the city you're still coming in right
3: mm-hmm. yeah yeah geez I don't think I'm gonna you make- have no
4: PTO so hey. you got to come in. I will say because it's
3: it's not in, it, for me. It doesn't fall into to to lease and likes, but we we're talking about it during the spoiler free section and whatnot. But during this third act, you see them literally shred human bodies in this scene. Yeah. Oh my like, gosh! Yeah, and it- I like I said, I I do admire this movie for going with that darker that darker tone. But you legit see them. Killing humans, and it's not like off screen. Like you see their bodies evaporate.
2: Oh, it's weird, and and like a few bones hit the ground. Yeah, and are stuck there. It's it's kind of morbid. Yeah,
4: I I think you know we're talking about the Cybertron being pulled to Earth. I'll tell you what's never really clear to me is why they need to do that in the first place.
2: Yeah what what is that doing for the story?
4: The the Autobots seem to be doing okay. Like, if you just kind of leave people alone, they won't mess with you too much. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, they had Megatron Frozen and they were, you know, reverse engineering microwaves from him and stuff like that. And we probably have the iPod from him as a result. But, like, you know, if you just kind of hang out, like, you don't. it's not like they have there's resources they require that only exist on Cybertron. Like, I never really understood, like, why they go through all the hassle what's the benefit they got a pretty good life like honestly they could just take over some random island that's uninhabited in the middle of nowhere and they just live their lives and they'd be fine like what what's the benefit of bringing Cybertron here like I never that's never very clear to me and as soon as it starts coming yeah your tides are completely destroyed like the the gravitational pull of the earth is completely thrown off like magma and volcanic activity and seismic activity would completely decimate the world like it would be a holocaust of all species of life on the earth. As soon as that thing shows up there, there is no slave labor left because there is no plant life. There is no animal life. There is no human life.
2: It's all magma everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The one other binge point that I'll have is that I, it is ridiculous and it's shot horribly, not horribly. It's edited horribly and has horrible CGI, but that wingsuit scene is awesome. I I mean, and the way that they actually filmed it, like they had wingsuiters. I don't know how close they were. And a lot of it's camera magic, but actually flying through Chicago. And it's cool. And they even had like cameras strapped to their helmets, like pre, this is pre Tom Cruise, halo jump that they were doing this. And it's pretty cool. It's a fun scene.
4: It's a fun, it's a fun scene, but you can tell Michael Bay was just sitting in his studio in his house. And just like, what craziness do I want to shoot regardless of if it makes sense or not? Because let's be like the wingsuit scene is super cool. Um, but like when the guys are the, yeah, well the, the hundred and first guys that are like paratrooping in and then the wingsuit guys that show up later, like you're the most sitting duck you could possibly imagine. Like these things can fly. They have cannons, they have machine guns. You would be turned into Swiss cheese pretty quickly. If you were a flying human, like, it it actually makes no sense at all outside of the fact that somebody was just like, you know what? I want to shoot a wingsuit scene today, so I'm gonna, and you can't stop me.
2: It it reminds me of, Matt mentioned early in Ambulance, like Michael Bay just took like the trendiest thing that was happening at the time, like he did with FPV drones, is like, hey, this is a new cool thing that's kind of trendy and all over YouTube. Like, let's put it on our movie. Like, I feel like when this movie came out, it was like peak wingsuit YouTube culture, if anyone remembers that. And- he doesn't really know how to incorporate it in his movie so he just like throws it in there uh you know where i feel like the gray man if you've seen that on netflix uses an fpv drone a lot better um yeah fpv drones are cool but yeah th- that's all the uh the binge points i have besides just saying i i think it's cool that they just keep throwing in more um transformers you know like i think the wreckers are super cool their impala design is sweet like, I wish I had a toy of those when I was young. Like the like the Impalas with the guns on them of the final act. Those are cool. Um, and obviously, we have Laserbeak. Um, but it's also interesting how Transformers just disappear. Like, Barricade, he shows up for the first time since the first movie, and he's just, like, randomly there, and then he gets his eyes sniped out. Uh, also, that, maybe this is a bench point. In the first movie they made a big deal talking about how normal rounds don't affect the transformers that they had to use like a special type of round that could only fit in a bigger gun and now we're just like, "Nah, normal guns have damage." Uh, yeah, it's once again self-contradictory.
4: And it's it's something that we talked about with the last review. There's a there's a slider that they push up when they want human weapons to be effective against transformers when the plot needs it to, and then they just kind of nerf that thing whenever they want them to be ineffective. And it's It's never consistent.
2: Yeah.
3: I I will say, I I guess this is one binge point that it was brought up very early on and it's actually talked about in Revenge of the Fallen um, in the special features and stuff like that. There was going to be seeds planted for Unicron in this movie and then it was scrapped.
2: Mm, Interesting. I feel like Unicron would have made more sense than Cybertron showing up. But yeah, yeah. the The other thing that I'll say, this is a bench point. I love that they finally got uh, Optimus Prime's trailer that transforms with his weapons. That's sweet. Every time, I mean, I remember the first time I saw this movie, and the uh, the driller is chasing him, and like he transforms, and his trailer does while it's flipping in air. Uh, and then he goes up and like grabs his sword and a shield. and He's like, stay behind me when they're in Chernobyl. Like that but is they, sweet. They scene. don't
3: stay behind him though. Yeah. Yeah. Then they just get wrecked. <laughs> anyway, um, I will say that is cool when he comes flying in and he does like that slide through the city streets and just kind of like wipes out like six to 10 Decepticons. Oh yeah. That seems really cool. Like he does also go for like a Starbucks run. Like th- there's, two times during the third act where he is one time cause he gets tied up in, in the wires. But the other <laughs> time he is like nowhere he's to be gone. seen. Yeah. Like he's nowhere to be seen for like no reason.
2: I, uh, that scene where he comes and he like flies in on his jetpack. I Someone posted it on YouTube. Like just that scene where he comes in and wrecks all the Decepticons mm-hmm. after the Autobots have been battling these Decepticons and they're like almost dying. Yeah. Uh, and they uploaded it with the title that when your team is level one, but you've leveled up to ninety-nine.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that that's the ending shot of the trailer. And that's why I say like they know how to make trailers, but like that was the ending shot of the trailer that they released. And even after Revenge of the Fallen, I was like, Oh my god, this is gonna be fantastic.
2: Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. So. The other thing that I'll say that it is really cool is that I like um, Sentinel Prime, his eyes are kind of a purplish color instead mm-hmm. of, like, the blue of the Autobots. They're, they have a red tint to it, and I think that that's a cool visual detail in the character. Uh, it was awesome. Also, I don't know. I was going to save this for least likes, but it's more of a bench point. I have no idea what they did for Sentinel Prime's sword sound effects, but it is cool. Like, I I don't even know how to... It's like a cross between, like, a chainsaw and a lightsaber, and it's the coolest sound I've ever heard. It um, is awesome, yeah. Cool sound. So, speaking of cool things, moving on to the next segment, least and likes is our least favorite scene and our favorite scene. Uh, Matt, we'll have you go first with your least favorite.
3: Uh, jeez. Um, so my least favorite scene is the first. Well, yeah. Uh, my least favorite scene is the first transition in Chicago. Um. I really don't like that at all when sentinel turns and they go through, they attack all of a sudden, like the transition is really weird when, when Sam calls and says, you don't understand you have five pillars. They have hundreds. Like I'm coming to you with sentinel. It's really weird transitioning of where everybody is in proximity to the home base. And I feel like from there up until when they come back to the city, I really don't like that. Cause it just feels like it, there's way too much time involved in that scene. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that Sentinel's like, Oh, you're lucky. I'm going to let you go. And then literally like Megatron sitting on the Abraham Lincoln statue, just watching Sentinel fight Optimus. Then Optimus is just sitting like in the grass and is like, Ugh. and like Sentinel just walks away from it. I'm like, what the hell is happening here? Like, where where did everybody go after this? Like, where? Like, what what is everybody doing? Um, I just really can't stand that. I think it's really bad transitioning, and it, it's one of those scenes that I feel like again, it 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 pads this runtime when it's not needed.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna follow up and say that that's my, my same least favorite. That, that you can kind of pick out a few moments throughout the entire film, but that is the biggest example of it where. People are scattered, and there's no real explanation of it, but we got to quickly get them back together. So we're going to just put them together again with weird circumstances, and then we're going to have them show up to say they're not going to go in, just to go in anyway. Like There's just a lot of it that's just really messy and makes the transition between the second act to the third just long and messy and confusing. By the time you get to the third act, I've completely forgotten about that because I'm having fun because Transformers are being Transformers and it's cool action. But to get there, it's just like, what? Like, you kind of just feel dumb. Like, did I miss something? Because they're treating it like this makes sense and it doesn't make sense.
3: Well, even when he says, like, I'm going to pick up Sentinel, it's like, where are you coming from? How did you get a hold of him? And then they end up on the freeway and it's like, like you said, like, where did everybody come from how did you get from a to b in this situation like i really again i don't know if i missed something but i was really confused during that and i'm still confused to this this rewatch
2: yeah
4: it's just like when you're playing with transformers as a kid and then there's this big battle and then you need to get another one so you go to the closet and you get another transformer toy that you hadn't gotten out yet and you just bring it back over
2: Yeah, exactly. And, like, a character died, but then your brother wants to play with that, and you're like, it's okay, he's back to life. Like, just bring him in. You know, like, we just got to go. Like, this is the final battle. Get everybody. Doesn't matter where they were. They're here now. Yeah, that's a great (laughs) example of it. Uh, Which, I mean, hey, that kind of works. In the past episodes, I described Michael Bay as being my childhood brain playtime made into a gigantic blockbuster movie. So, Um, But, Rob, did you have a different least favorite scene? Um... There's some cringiness,
4: you know. I don't love the scene with his parents. The aspects of the scene with his parents yeah. on the Winnebago or the whatever it is that giant um, luxury RV that they have. But I will say, my actual least favorite scene is just the the arbitrary way that those pillars get destroyed at the end. Um, these things are so so important, and it just seems like there's no clear rules on how they work, how they're protected, and how they can actually be taken out. And all of a sudden, it's just kind of like. Oh shit! Our movie's two and a half hours. Time to end it. Boom.
3: Well, he gives a yes. total exposition dump, and it's like, why are you telling her this? Like, yeah. like, legitimately, why are you telling her that those are the main pillars? But the red, like, those are the four pillars, and the red one. Yeah, and them? she
4: convinces him to you know take out to turn on you know his conspirator. Like those things, just you know anytime somebody says we're going to win with the power of friendship, you guys, you know, like (laughs) it's, it's those kinds of things where it's like, you know, when, when one character decides they're going to use subtle wordplay to try to twist somebody to turn against their, their ally in the,
2: in the heat of the battle, like that kind of stuff is always Mm -hmm. just lame to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you remind me of that, that scene where, where Carly talks to Megatron is horrible and that, I forget his name. Um, Patrick Dempsey's character when he was kind of explaining things to her. I thought it's because he was trying to help them and then he didn't. And then he like has a fist fight with Sam. I was like, what is this guy's motive? Like I can't keep up. I can't figure it out.
3: Which there are two things in that. uh, I'll kind of like that. I wanted to kick into my least is one when Sam's running through the city and he's jumping and then going under the cars, just absolute parkour. Well, and there's they're not trying to hide it at all that it's not him
2: because the yeah, camera it,
3: the camera's on him way too much, and when he is swinging from Starscream, I hate that scene.
2: Oh my gosh, I I cannot, horrible.
3: I cannot stand that scene.
2: It's dumb. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. The parkour I thought was funny, especially because they don't even try to match the hair color. Like the stunt no. double has like almost red blondish hair. When <laughs> it's 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 and I it all, mean he's. It, Great car chorus, looks like but guile from Street Fighter 2, the way his hair's sticking up.
3: Like yeah, <laughs> wh- wh-
2: why why is this scene happening? Also, yeah, that that entire scene with Starscream. Like, I think it's kind of funny when he dies, he's like, I think he's dead, or whatever he says. But like it's just the it, mm-hmm. it, it's horrible. Yeah, that that would probably be my least favorite scene altogether. And it's so long, I was just like, get it over with. Like, just move on. And his uh, arm
3: would be ripped out of socket.
2: Oh, totally! Him
3: flinging around on that cord, his his, or his shoulder separated. Something is happening.
2: Yeah. Um. So let's move on to our favorite, Matt. We'll have you go first again.
3: So, I've got a couple of things. There's not really a whole scene that works for me because it's broken up, but there are a there's a couple of individual parts that I really like. Number one, I really do like the scene with the mom and the dad at the end where he decides he's going to go after Carly. Um but again, there's the beginning of that where I'm like this is stupid, but I really do like that chunk of time where they talk about it and he decides he's going to go after her. I really love the f- part where Optimus Prime comes in and he cuts through all the Decepticons. I think that's really well done. And I really do think too, although the scene drags a little bit. It's like why did you not just shoot them? Um I thought the you know, the character of Sam showed, you know, real emotion when he thought Bumblebee was going to die and he's trying to help him. I I thought he did a really good job. I believe those tears. I thought that was actually really powerful. And even again, on this most recent watch, I felt emotional for Sam that he thought he was going to witness Bumblebee being executed. Like, I actually thought he conveyed that very, very well, and in turn made me feel for him. Um, now, again, though, right after that, I feel like it's just like they just take so much time to shoot them that it's ridiculous. But I really enjoyed that, that part of it. Um, and th- the scene with um, Optimus and Sentinel out in the wherever they were, and they're talking about the Matrix of Leadership just because that scene's gorgeous, and again, it was like, not knowing that Sentinel was going to turn, like, during the watch, um, like, somebody who was supposed to be the leader, but just like, you know, like you said, Harrison, in in a world that I don't know, like, no, you have proven yourself to be the leader and everything like that. I thought that was really well done. Um, So I have a couple of things that I really like, but unfortunately, it's, they're still covered by s- things that come before after them that are in that same shot that do take away from the overall effectiveness.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm going to say with my favorite as well. I, I was just going to say the entire third act again, but there's some parts in the third act that's really drag. You mentioned this Matt characters disappearing and then showing up conveniently. A lot of just convoluted things and a lot of it's super ridiculous and like the building falling over is kind of fun. And and there's also good moments where you know Sam thinks Bumblebee is gonna die, um, but my favorite scene is at the end when Optimus is fighting um, Sentinel with his sword and his axe. Like that axe is sweet. I wish we got more of that axe that Optimus Prime has. Um, and the way that that uh, Megatron shows up and just wrecks Sentinel—that's a lot of fun. It's kind of it, it goes for a crazy turn where Optimus just absolutely decimates. Uh, Megatron and Sentinel also how's Megatron come back for the next films I'm not sure interested to see how that happens but th- like that that fight between Sentinel and Optimus is just a lot of fun a lot of it doesn't work but that's like because I've been having a decent amount of time throughout or decent amount of time a decent amount of fun throughout the third act when it reaches us like yeah this is fun so uh, Rob what's your favorite
4: scene I mentioned that I kind of had a problem with the whole concept of the wingsuit but When you just kind of get past the fact that it doesn't make any sense, it's you know, once once the real battle of Chicago kind of gets started, it's I won't I will absolutely not blaspheme the Battle of Helms Deep by putting it in that that category. But, man, there's just something about big, long, fun battle scenes on TV and film. You know, we got a couple of them in the Game of Thrones series towards the end of the of the run of that show. That were just, you know, there's something about those when the stakes are high, and and you kind of have some some skin in the game. You've gotten to know some of these characters, and you and you have a rooting interest. Um, there's there's just something really fun about it. It would have been much better if they cut some of the bloat, if if some of the things made more sense. Um, the moment where Bumblebee has accepted his his death, and that Sam is going to watch it. That is unbelievably dark. Unbelievably so. Um, and well executed. And I'm gonna say well acted on the part of the CGI character.
0: The yes. way that the
4: visual effects people did that, you know, it's almost like the original Hulk film that they did with Eric Banna, where I actually thought the CG Hulk was a better actor than Eric Banna in that movie. <laughs> just the way that they're able to get the, the CG to. Convey emotions in a way that we can understand. Um, I was like, "Wow, this is." Re- I'm going to watch this happen. Um, and then, of course, you know, somebody comes in and saves the day, conveniently because movie. But um, yeah, I'm going to go with that as my favorite.
2: That's a that's a good one. You you brought up some other things that I just want to mention. The the visual effects in general, and just that huge fight of Chicago, and not knowing what is CGI and what is an actual explosion. The highway fight that I mentioned earlier; those are just really fun. The one last thing that I have to mention as an honorable mention as my favorite quote is when Brains and Mudflap get aboard this the Decepticon ship. They're just fun together, those two. I think the small little Transformers are hilarious. And after they're ripping apart the ship and it's about to crash, Mudflap's like, we had a good run, Brains, you and me. And the Brains like, yeah, we're going to die. Like, that is a line that for some reason was so funny to my brother and I that that became a part of our, like, vernacular together that that we would do something and it was coming to an end like we finished a project and i would say we had a good run brain you and me and he'd be like yeah we're gonna die like it was a <laughs> thing that we consistently said you know like we'd finish mowing the lawn or whatever and it's like okay moving on to the next thing or we'd play a video game and we'd we'd finish a level uh i, I don't know that line st- every, and it, so every time i hear it it makes me laugh um but yeah so on to the second to last segment transformers translation this is where we talk about Matt, you mentioned this, the things from Transformers lore that transfer over well or do not transfer well. Um, So, I I will say to, to me, the things that work the best is just the lore of Optimus fighting for freedom, Decepticons versus Autobots. I feel like that entire thing is just handled really well, especially in response to the last film that was just so convoluted and messy. I mean, this isn't perfectly clean, but But the entire thing between Sentinel and Optimus and Megatron, just that entire Autobots versus Decepticons, I think works really well in this film. Um, But yeah, Any, any thoughts about what does or does not translate well?
3: So I do, I wish they would have explored this more. And they really don't. But I do like when Megatron comes in, he destroys Sentinel Prime. And he's, well, doesn't destroy him yet, but he says, you know, I offer you a truce. All I want is to be back in charge again. Besides, what would you be without me? And Optimus is like, well, let's find out. And then <laughs> and then kills him. I think there's really something there because these guys have been, you know, at each other for so long. And they even say like, we were like, I think it's Optimus who says to him, like, we were brothers once. Um, I think there's there would have been a lot to explore there, and I think there could have been some good things. Um, and they just scratched the surface of it. I do think too, though, like I mentioned that scene where um, you know, Optimus is talking to Sentinel. I think that's really well done about the hierarchy of the Transformers. Um I, I just wish they would. Give some of that more, you know. I wish they would have given some of that more time because there are very brief glimpses of it. Um, and they even mention a line in one of the later movies where they talk about Cybertron, and I'm like, see, that would have been interesting to explore, but they just pepper it in there, you know. They just, oh, well, you're just a pinch of salt because you know, not too much, but. I, I do think some of those elements are, are here, but again, you just get them in very, very brief glimpses.
2: Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I think Cybertron could have been a lot more involved. Like, it was exciting to see, and then it's gone so quickly. Um, yeah, any other thoughts about things translating or not translating?
4: You know, the second film really builds uh, a lot into this concept that the primes are special. They're they're a hierarchy. You know, they're they're kind of an elite group with special abilities. They can do things that that other Transformers cannot. And they really build this up in the second film. And, you know, we finally meet another living prime in Sentinel. And we talked about it before when when he does turn heel. um, and betrays the Autobots. Like it didn't really land with anything. And I kind of feel like we should have, it, we know that there is this relationship, you know, uh, Sentinel is somebody that Optimus admires and, and has an affection for, but we only get that just through a few lines of dialogue. We don't really feel it. We're, we, we're just told it. So I yeah. would say that
2: doesn't translate well. Yes. I I think that was extremely well said. Just being told versus feeling it. well said. Um, Okay. Well, moving on to the final segment, Fall In. The most interesting segment for this (laughs) series. Again, just stuff it up the nose of my uh, film professor and and almost like reclaim and re validate my love for these transformers films and trying to find a message or as my dad always said a moral of the story of these films if there is one and um there there, there's a lot of it that i really like just about sam trying to figure out how to be valued and worth something and everybody goes through that to some extent you know you're you're not involved in something that you used to be involved in, or maybe a significant other is no longer in your life, and so you're trying to kind of refigure out what gives your life purpose and meaning. And I like Sam's arc of evaluating that and 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 the emotions he has for Carly, and almost his plan is kind of ridiculous. Like once he saves Carly, what is he going to do? He's not going to be able to stop Sentinel, and and eventually it does lead to that. But I think that he initially starts just wanting to. Go after Carly and and just that entire thing I, I think is is well done and, and has validity to it that you know each of us have to figure out those things that do make us valuable. And and what does he say? I want to be like do something important again. I forget what he says, but, but the
4: line is I just want to matter, and she responds back, you matter to me. Yes. And I specifically wrote that down for the purpose of this segment. <laughs> there you go then.
2: So yeah, take it away with your thoughts, then
4: Ron. Um yeah, so you know, that was something that really leaped out to me. And I think, um, there's, I think some people are always looking for what's next, always looking for trying to do more for people than, than they necessarily have to, you know, there's, how tropey is it in movies where you have the dad that works, you know, a million extra hours of overtime and misses the soccer game and the kid kicks the winning goal or something like that? Like that's so tropey that you can picture that in like 75 movies, not even counting the grindhouse, you know, stuff that Hallmark puts out every year. They just turn the crank and here's another <laughs> Christmas movie that all have the exact same plot. And it's usually some version of that. My mom loves those things. I, I don't. I don't get it. But a lot of people are into those. Whatever. You know, if you enjoy it, that's fine. There's people out there that defend the Last Jedi. You know what, what's a guy <laughs> to do? Um, but you know, just the the whole idea that you know some people are always trying to do more, and sometimes they're already enough. Um, sometimes you don't you don't have to be more than you are. Um, be grateful for what for what it is that you have. Appreciate what you have. Um, and really looking to make sure that all the more that you're trying to do actually does anything for you.
2: And, and I'll add to that, that, that scene that we've mentioned many times with Sam's parents of also deciding those things that you have to work for because in so much that we do try to do, there's a like, I think that sometimes we expect those things that, that are valuable to just be there or to be present. Like, oh, I got a car and suddenly I'm involved in this Autobots war kind of like Sam is where he has to learn like well if this is something i'm i'm it's important to me i've got to work towards it and he eventually does and kind of fights his way into the autobot fight uh, and a lot of that is just nature of who he is uh, but i like that that his mom is like well your dad and i weren't always like this and addresses like the necessity of intention
4: which is kind of a mature theme for a film and a director that we kind of look of as very immature with, with what <laughs> yeah. he does, you know, it's right. You know, like I'm going to crash these cars together. Boom. Like you can literally picture a small child playing on his, in the carpet of his living room, just smashing cars together. And here's a pretty girl. Look at her, you know, like, and yet sometimes you get like a really mature grown up, like deep thought, like the, the parents actually having a conversation about like, yeah, listen, our marriage is something we, Work at like it's it's not always perfect. We've had problems and we agreed to try to make them better, you know. And and then they immediately have the mom talking about the size of the kid's manhood, and it's just like oh, you just eliminated all the goodwill you just built up,
2: right? Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. In the oh, same ahead, movie, that, sorry, like in the same movie that we get them talking about a robot being in her underwear drawer, you know, we get. Uh, you know, we get a kid who, again, I, I'll i go back to the line of you think you want the job, but what well, you don't realize this is the job and like putting in your dues and things like that. It really is sometimes like crazy to think of some of the things that we get in a series that has a dog being dominated by another dog, a robot dry humping Megan Fox's leg, a robot being in an underwear drawer. The.
4: A robot with two wrecking balls underneath for his genitals, as
3: balls, (laughs) like just you know, John Totoro being in a speedo for no reason. Um, Yeah, there's just so many really weird, immature moments, and then you do get these really weird, like very real world, very real life scenarios that are like, okay these movies probably could have worked so much more if you would have eliminated some of this humor and focused more. If you were going to focus on human characters again, it's the first movie I thought balanced it really well, but then they just let Michael Bay do what he wanted to do. And like to Michael Bay, this is like, that is funny to him. Like I'm convinced that if you walked by Michael Bay and like, farted on him he would think that's the funniest thing in the world like he like like i'm convinced that's his kind of humor and he thinks that everybody finds that hysterical
2: yeah fair analysis that's a very accurate analysis michael bay is an interesting fellow uh it's it's weird his most recent film ambulance did a similar thing where i was like i was kind of emotional at multiple parts in that film, especially at the end, and I was like, why am I? But it's because there's those very... And I and here's the thing that I, I like about it is that he takes very realistic things and I think because so much of it is that he's not very good at showing and he just tells it, but he gets actors to tell it in a way that you feel it, if you get what I'm saying. And I think that that's why we can talk about it is because it's so directly addressed, you know, and, and, and it's not... And I think it's because he doesn't have a way to get around it otherwise. It's very real things, very relatable things. And he has a good performer telling it so that we start to feel it. And I'm surprised how it works. Again, I, I'm impressed. I was not expecting these this segment to go this way with these moves. But, hey, I'll take it. Um, so, unless either of you have any other thoughts, we will move on to uh reveal the rotten where we will give our rating out of five reels um to see who is rotten we all c- oh did you have a thought matt
3: i was gonna say did because i had i had talked about this with rob did your ratings change
2: mine did yes
3: mine did too
2: like, oh wait are you saying like from the start of the podcast to the end
3: Yes, because we, yes. we had all said at the end of the first one, here's where we would be. Um, mine did change.
2: Yeah, I, I, so, so I'm pulling up our before ratings. For Dark of the Moon, I gave it three. Matt and Rob, you both said two. Rob hadn't seen it, and he gave it two two reels. <laughs> I thought um, I had. So, uh, also, our after ratings um, for the past films. Transformers, uh, Matt, or Rob and I gave four, and Matt gave three and a half. Revenge of the Fallen, Rob and I gave a two, and Matt gave a one. So, Matt, since we kind of-ish led towards you being the rotten, we'll have you go last. Rob, we'll have you reveal your rating first, and then I will, uh, and then you. So, out of five reels, bringing that over from Matt's show, what do you rate Transformers Dark of the Moon?
4: It's a lot of fun. It's it's something that I could see myself watching again at some point. I'm not going to probably watch this annually, every two years, every three years, you know. Um, I, I could see myself throwing this on for fun and fast forwarding a lot. It's it's not a movie that is three edits away from perfection. Um, it's a movie that could be some some well thought out edits away from being really good. Yeah. Um so th- I give this three reels out of five.
2: Wow. Okay. Uh I am my rating still isn't totally secure. I, it was going to be, at the, mo- at the beginning of this episode, I thought it was going to be two and a half. Just half a reel more than, than Revenge of the Fallen. By the end of this, I'm really trying to decide between three and three and a half. And in a moment of decision, I'm just going to go with three. I think that it doesn't quite measure up to the three and a half that it could I think like we talked about, there's just those slight moments that take it down a little bit. Like I said, the third act of Revenge of the Fallen, I consider like a flawless third act where this third act is really fun, but there's more in it that doesn't work. So it's not quite to that three and a half level. So I'm going to go three reels. But Matt, he gave me an interesting look when I said three. So (laughs) I don't know what's about to happen.
3: So I will say that I do think, so like going back even to Transformers, I really don't know why I didn't rate that four stars or four reels. I'm not really sure why I didn't. Um, And when I first rated this, I rated it a two. Rewatching this and thinking about Revenge of the Fallen, which I gave a one, um, there's absolutely no way that this is only one reel better than Revenge of the Fallen. Now, this is not perfect, but it is so... It is still way more coherent, and overall, it's way less offensive than Revenge of the Fallen. Um, minus the initial, like, sexification of yeah. Carly, they do get away from that for the most part, except for that gratuitous shot of her walking through the city with an explosion. But <laughs> yeah. but then, it's not like she's in some weird, skimpy outfit or anything right. like that. She's fully not- clothed. It's not the first movie where the girl has on a green sundress and they're doing a POV shot down her, you know, down her top. Like, while the robot's jumping over her. It's nothing as gratuitous as that. Um, So it gets away from that stuff. And I gave this a full real better. I give it a three as well.
2: Wow. Okay. So. So we're all the rotten. I mean, it was just kind of interesting because we all guessed that it would be a tie in some way and it's just a dead even tie.
3: I feel like out of and again, we're going, we'll watch, you know, four and five besides the first one, though. I do feel like this one, like Rob said, it has the for me, it has the most potential with a few tweaks to really actually be a really good movie more besides the first one more so on my initial thought of age of extinction and the last night, this movie with a few tweaks, I really do feel like there's a really great foundation here. Like this is a house that you're like, I'm handy. I can gut this and I can turn this into something beautiful.
2: Yeah. I, I think that the, the reason that my rating changed the most is, is that the two of you helped me appreciate what like like to appreciate more, what I did appreciate. And instead of to like, try to find fault in it to just say like, well, no, this actually does work. And I'm continually impressed that these Transformer movies have more to them than we initially, at least me, give them credit to. We like to bag on the Transformers. I would just say in like film culture that they're like the worst case of just a horrible action movie but with nothing but explosions. And I think that this one in particular is evidence that there is a lot more of that. It's just sad that it gets lost. And because those good moments of potential are combined with dumb conversations about people's anatomy in inappropriate ways we tend to forget those and remember the explosions also the explosions are a lot louder and but i think that that this one really has a lot in it that you could show to someone and say well there's more here than there's more here than meets the eye (laughs) zang (laughs) (laughs) um so wow dead even tie with three reels um this is not how I saw these episodes going, but I am, <laughs> I am liking it. So, um, sweet. Well, any other thoughts about transformers Dark of the moon before we close out the episode? All right. Well, thank you again. Oh, go ahead, Matt.
3: No, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I, I, I do think this is the one that will, for me, this is the one that will change that change the most. And I think it will stay consistent with the fourth and the fifth movie of my opinion changing on this one.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you gave the fourth two and a half and the last night half. So we'll see what happens. I'm really curious to see what happens. I cannot remember what the shift is from, from uh, Shia LaBeouf to Mark Wahlberg. There probably isn't an explanation, but I'm interested to see how that continues. I'm also, as I'm continually loving this third act, Like I mentioned, there's something about it that just really works with me, and that's been consistent with all three films so far. I'm worried that my three and a half that I gave last night is only the third act that I remember, because I don't remember anything else in that movie. I just remember the third act that I love, so that is going to be an interesting episode to get to.
3: I will say the, the biggest change, and not that they look bad, the design change for Optimus Prime from three to four, I think is amazing. Mm. I think in Age of Extinction he looks incredible.
2: I I remember how he looks in five. But I don't remember how he looks in four. So I'm I'm curious to see. I'm excited.
4: So Looking so I've not actually seen four or five. Um, my son a couple Ooh. of years ago decided he wanted to watch all these. So my wife sat down and watched all of them with him. So he's rewatching these with me. And what I was telling him, like, hey, bud, we're, we'll sit down and watch these. He was all excited for the first couple, and then he was like, he. He so at at age nine, I didn't know that movies were ever bad. Like I was entertained by them, like I enjoyed it. Like the very first time I ever saw Batman and Robin, I actually thought it was a good movie because I didn't know any better. I was too young to really comprehend what makes a bad movie. Um, he's already said to me, Dad, I don't know if I want to watch that one. It would, that one's really bad. <laughs> the fifth <laughs> so, one. The no Age of Extinction. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so he's he may not join me for that one is, in terms of when I go to do my rewatch. So that I I know I've got that to look forward to. A film so bad my nine na- my nine year old son isn't even interested in watching it
3: again.
2: That is a new level of live up. Like that is so low down there. Yeah. Bar's really low.
3: And that's funny because I am so looking forward forward to rewatching that one because minus one plot point that they really put a strange eerie creepy focus on I actually remember Age of Extinction pretty fondly so but yeah it's real people talk about that movie really bad Um, so I'm really excited to rewatch that and be like alright what was I doing then what was I thinking like was I just in a crazy good mood that day and everything was forgivable or am I gonna w- go back on that and be like Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I, and especially I'm really curious to see. I'm pretty sure that Megatron comes back as Galvatron. Like, how is that going to happen? I'm very curious. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, th- th- this will be fun. Um, looking forward to it. So, um, subscribe to The Base and Binge if you aren't already for those episodes coming. Also, check out Matt Goes to the Movies. A review coming for Prey, which is a movie that I am increasingly more excited about. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that if I'm able to join you for the review, if I'm not to just listening to that review because I'm excited for that film. So also tons of fun episodes happening here. The Basement Binge after Transformers. Matt Goes to the Movies, of course. Anything that you need to get in contact with the show, follow the show, subscribe to the show. Anything that you want to do to interact and engage with Matt Goes to the Movies and The Basement Binge is linked below. We appreciate all of it. Reviews on Podchaser, reviews anywhere, but especially on Podchaser are always helpful. Those will be linked below. You can leave a review on this individual episode. Helps a ton. Additionally, I'm saying that this is a weird thing to say on a Transformers episode of all things, but previous to these Transformers episodes being released, but halfway through recording them, my wife and I did an episode on Where the Crawdads Sing. The first, it took a lot of con- convincing to get my wife to join me for an episode, but it was a lot of fun. And she has agreed that if that specific episode, Where the Crawdads sings re- receives six or more reviews on Podchaser, she will do more episodes with me. So. Even if you don't listen to the episode, leave a review. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, everything you need for any of that will be linked below. Thank you again, Matt and Rob, for joining me and for having tons of fun with these Transformer movies. I am glad that I have found two people that are willing to sit down and talk to me about Transformers and to have fun with them because uh, those, those people are few and far between. So thank you for being such quality individuals. <laughs> Um, but if you haven't heard enough this is the Bation Binge and that's all for now ciao ciao